Let's open in prayer before we study. Heavenly Father, we are honored to be able to study your word. Uh, it is truly uh, all that we need, Lord, to know you and to obey you. And we just ask that as we study it, that you would make it clear uh, what it means, Lord, and what it m means for us, what you want, would have us to do with it, as each of us uh, is responsible for our own service before you. And we just pray that you would, you would use it uh, as only you can. As the word says, your word does not uh, go out and return to you void. So we pray that you would uh, do that here and uh, just be with me as I just give an explanation of the things that I've learned, Lord, and that it would be honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we went through Exodus 16 and studied all the details, or a lot of them, I'm clearly not all of them, there's more, about the provision of manna and what God's purposes were for it. We finished up one of the last uh, passages we read. I want to go back to it because it provides the bridge. Something's wrong in their eyes. Wow. I don't like it when that light shines in my eyes out there. I know what you mean. We talked about uh, Deuteronomy 8. If we could just reread that. Go back quickly to Deuteronomy 8. And let's reread God's summary statement of the Old Testament on what he was doing uh, with the manna and the wandering. Deuteronomy 8. And that's verses 2 and 3. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that a man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So that was his main purpose for the nation of Israel. And so he was telling them that to sustain you for life that matters, and that would be eternal life, the food's not going to do it, even though it's miraculous food. It is every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now we go to the New Testament. And one of the very first things we learn, and let's go to John 1. Very familiar also to us. Verses 1 through 5. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then verse 14, 
and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we find that the bridge now is established that everything that you need and man needs to live on eternally proceeds from the mouth of God. And then we find out that the word of God is defined to be synonymous with Jesus. It says the word became flesh. Let's not forget the word is the word of God. So somehow, and I'm not here to explain exactly how these two things fit together, but God's trying to tell us that his word has been embodied in a way in Jesus Christ and has always been so. It is not a new thing. He was the word, but he became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's established for us the connection between the word of God and the fact that Jesus is in fact that word. So it sets us up for Jesus is dealing with the issue of manna directly. And that we have to go to John chapter 6. So let's go to John 6 and take a close look at that. That's what we're going to really be looking at for the rest of our time. John 6. To set the context of this, uh, this immediate, this, what we're about to read, we're going to start in verse 22. This occurred right after he had done a miraculous feeding of 5,000 and had walked on water. Okay, so some serious miracles had just taken place, uh, both to a large group of people and also to his disciples, and demonstrating that this person is certainly uh, from God or has the power of God. So that was just uh, the, the, the most recent event. Now we come to chapter, uh, verse 22. I'm going to read from 22 to 71, the whole story, and then we'll go back. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had, entered, had not entered with his disciples into that boat, but the disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they, had ate, they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answers them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God 
is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. They were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be ta all taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that no one may eat of it, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, saying, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who, not, who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered, answered them, Did I myself not choose you? The twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the twelve. He, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. <clears throat> so that is Jesus' discourse on manna. It is, the, it is the conclusion of God's object lesson that he started back in the wilderness. So I think it'd be helpful now if we, if we go back and look at how, how he addresses these people. Because as I was thinking about it, he cared about their souls. I mean, these people were coming to him. First, he cared about their their hunger when he fed them just recently. But now the most important thing for them and for, for us was their eternal destiny. So when they showed up to talk to him, everything he was doing was trying to get them to understand what had to happen for them to have eternal life. That was his goal. It was, that's our goal when we witness to people. But look at the way he does this. I mean, he takes a very long and patient course with these people. So let, let's see it. Verse uh, 26, starting with the reason they're there. They ask him, we'll go to 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, I mean, they asked him a specific question. He did not answer that. He completely ignored their question, and he decided to go straight for the issue of why were they looking for him, not how did you get here. It really didn't matter how he got there. So he goes to verse 26, and Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So he right away says to them, listen, I understand what you're doing. You have no concern whatsoever for anything about me at this moment other than the fact that I fed you. You are looking for more free food. That's it. That's it. That's all they were doing at that moment. But he wasn't going to just tell them, and therefore, go away. No, he was just starting. So they... They recognized, and he gave an answer. He said, listen, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. And to their credit, they didn't just walk away and say, well, if you're not going to give me more fish and more bread, we got to go. They said, okay, what works what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And this is, this is the answer to the salvation question in one sentence. Uh, when people want to say, you know, is there a work that you can work to become saved? He tells you, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, that's easy to say what it is to believe in he who, him who he has sent. He's going to tell you what it means to believe in, from all angles. He's going to tell them what it really means to believe in he who God has sent. 
So the discourse goes further. He says, so they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, this is where you look at it and go, you just saw people, 5,000 people be fed from nothing. Did you forget that? You saw an amazing sign. Now, I don't believe they saw him walk on the water. That was limited to the, obviously, his, his disciples. But it is comical almost that they would say, what sign do you give us? But now you can see where they were headed by the next verse. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. What they were really saying is, yeah, you fed us once. That was nice. Manna lasted 40 years. They knew that. Everyone was familiar with the way manna worked. And I think what they were saying is, we'd sort of like you to prove to us that we're going to have, what did they say? Give us this bread always. Right? That's what they said. Give us this bread always in verse 34. So he explained to them where the manna came from, and it came down from heaven. And he was trying to explain to him then in verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. That's him. But they're still thinking, okay, but, but we want this stuff all the time. So they really still weren't understanding that he was talking about eternal life and that he, even though he has said it, is the bread of life. But he continues. He doesn't give up on them. And he says, in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But then he really addresses the spiritual condition. I think they've gone beyond the physical and the fact that they were just looking for food, and he says to, him, to them, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So what he was saying to them is, you have the signs. I am standing in front of you. I am the bread of life. I am the Son of God. Believe in me. You have me, and yet I know, because I know everything, he says, you don't believe. And he gives them an insight even into the uh, the God side, the sovereign side, where he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. He is telling them something else. He is saying that part of the salvation process is for those who the Father has given to Jesus will come to believe in him. Now, this is probably something that, you know, escaped them at the time. They were still probably concerned somewhat about the food and all of those issues. But he gives them, really, the, the, the full teaching, and going forward, um, reiterates it. Starting up in verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who, come, who is from God has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. He then explains to them the difference between him and the manna that was the symbol of him. This food, even though it lasted 40 years and was miraculous, 
didn't keep these people alive for eternity. He is telling them that he is the way to be alive eternally. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, we can see this argument that starts up because they're still focusing on the physical concept of eating bread and now he's made it his flesh. And it is a very hard teaching, right? I mean, I think that uh, one of the things that we have vestiges of in our religious society comes in the form of a, a distorted doctrine from the Catholic Church. Anybody ever hear of transubstantiation? We got, a, we got one, two, three, okay. <laughs> transubstantiation. I studied this uh, when I was in college because I had never been familiar with the concept, but I believe it really comes from this and is distorted out of this. In the Catholic Church, okay, what happens is this. A priest will stand there, and the, uh, the people in the parish will come forward, and he gives them their communion. And he uses a wafer, right? And then they have the cup, okay? The teaching of the Catholic Church is this, that when you eat that and drink that, that it physically, actually becomes the body of Christ and his blood, okay? They believe that physically happens, right? Now, God is so good and obvious, not that he, you know, I mean, he saw it coming, but he gives us, Jesus makes it so clear uh, in this discourse with them, when they go through this, this issue with him, he says to them, um, verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. He makes it abundantly clear to them, whether they chose to believe it or not, and whether they choose to believe it or not today, that his discussion about his flesh and his blood, okay, was a, an analogy. It was not to be taken in that sense, literally, should anyone believe that you can eat his flesh or drink his blood to be saved. He says, the words I speak to you are spirit. That doesn't make them any less important, but they certainly were not justification for that crazy doctrine that we see today. But it's still out there. And it is a hard teaching, but thankfully, he gave us the explanation that it was a spiritual analogy. So then we go forward and we look at um, what happens next. He comes back to his disciples right after the discourse with the crowd, and he asks them a question that sort of seems like it's kind of sad. You're like, he's feeling, you know, Jesus is feeling vulnerable now. You know, like everyone's turning against him because people are leaving in droves. It sort of has that sense when he asks them in verse 66. So Jesus said to them, to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? 
And you, you kind of feel this is like a critical moment. Like they've just heard this, this teaching that has caused a lot of people some, some serious problems. And Peter says to him, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, in spite of this stuff that I'm sure he didn't fully understand, his faith was there. He did believe that Jesus is who he said he was, in spite of the difficulty of it, in spite of all that. And you kind of want to go, way to go, Peter, you know? You get it. You, you figured it out, right? And that would be great. Jesus would say to him, well, I'm so proud of you, Peter, that you've, you've been able to see through the difficulty of this and, 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 and be enlightened. That's not what he said. That's not what he said to him. He goes, Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and that one of you is a devil? It's like, wait a minute. I want a little credit. I, I got it. He says, no. You don't get any credit for any of it. Okay? Yes, you believed. And from your perspective, you believed and you are saved. But you need to know that I chose you. Now, how he is to match that up in his head, but it is the truth that he wanted him to know at that moment. He wanted him to know that even your faith was given to you by me to believe. He didn't say to him, Way to go, Peter. And I think, when I think about it, it comes back to my salvation. I go, ah, I'm grateful that I have, was given the faith to believe. Because when you look it out there and you go talk to people, and uh, Ron was talking about his neighbor, right? Now, Ron, you've probably had a chance to give them the gospel and talk to them and probably many times. And then you, you got the old, my husband died, my son died. Well, they had the truth in front of them. You're telling them the same truth that all of us know to be true, but yet you can't make them believe, can you? You can't cause them to go, yes. And that is the other side of it. The faith to believe has to be actually given to the person by God himself. So when we go out and we, we do what we're called to do, we are called to witness to everybody, in season, out of season. We're not responsible for the result. We're responsible for the message. All of it. You know, repentance, the truth of why we need repentance, what we have to believe, that Jesus is the only way to keep the doctrine pure, and the results, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's what he told them, and they will. Every single one of them, everyone who the Father gives to Jesus Christ will come to him, and we've been given the honor, beyond honor, to be part of that process, to go and give the word. And I just think, you know, the story of manna really came through, through the Old Testament, through trying to get through to the nation of Israel, that my word is sufficient He's going to get to them again. They're going to look upon him whom they pierced, and we know that Israel will come to salvation. But for those who believe now, 
we understand that Jesus is the bread of life. And he says, he says when he says, eats me and, and drinks, eats my flesh and drinks my blood, it's a connotation of completely taking in. It's not a compartmental thing. It's all of him. It's everything about him. We, we see in John 15 where he talks about abiding in him. That's a different analogy, right? The vine and the branches. But it's like you're totally in the vine. If you're not in the vine, you're dead. It's not like you're halfway in or you're halfway out. So his idea of eating and drinking means completely taking it in, having it be you and him all at the same time. And I think that's the reason why he did it with manna. He needed the manna to complete the ultimate analogy of Jesus Christ. He could have fed him with anything, but he really chose this to be the ultimate example of true life, eternal life. And I'm just thankful. I'm thankful. And with that, I'm going to close in prayer and get you out of here a little early. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you that you sent your Son, who's the bread of life, who came to save us, and we're just grateful. Uh, we're grateful for the plan of salvation, and we would ask that uh, you would inspire us, Lord, to take the opportunities to tell others, whether they listen or not, Lord, and whether they listen now. We know stories of people that listen, and then something happens later uh, that causes them to believe. And we just pray that we would be obedient to you to tell others uh, the way of eternal life. We'd ask that you would uh, be with all the kids at camp, Lord, as they're there, learning, having fun. Keep them safe. Uh, keep them in your word. Help them to not just have fun, but also to find something that... Um, makes them want to know you better. We thank you for all the people working there. We just ask that you'd watch over them, give them strength and uh, clarity of thought and endurance to, to handle all the activity. And we uh, ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.